Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you on this Lord's day. We desire to worship you in truth and spirit. We pray that your spirit would guide us in truth this day to teach us those things that we need to know so that we might be obedient to your word and bring honor and glory to your name. We continue to pray for the salvation of sinners and sanctification of your saints. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 13 as we return to this gospel and we will read verses 24 through 27. Mark 13, 24 through 27. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of the heavens. This week I read on social media this phrase, The dumbest thing I ever purchased was a 2020 planner. Now, it's good to make plans, but one thing for sure that the coronavirus has taught us is that God guides our steps. He's in control of today and tomorrow and the next day and so on. Now, in the study of of chapter 13, Jesus is telling his disciples to make plans, to be prepared for the things that are about to come. Now, I want to remind us how important it is to leave these verses that we have read in context with the entire passage so that we are not unwisely making foolish predictions which would cause Christianity to be ridiculed. Such predictions will cause some to put Christianity in the same category as cults, saying that Christianity is misleading people by making false predictions. But we must handle God's word very carefully. We must be Bereans, as I've said over and over again. We must study the scriptures to make sure what we are studying and learning lines up with God's word and does not contradict itself. Now I want to say again that good men disagree on this particular chapter because there are various views and interpretations of this chapter. Now, when I read chapter 13, it seems very obvious to me that there are certain truths that are very clear. First of all, we know that Jesus made a statement about the temple. Second, we see that the disciples asked a question. And third, Jesus answers the question. Now, I believe that most believers would agree with those points. The division comes over the question... When will these things take place? Now, I've tried to show you that I believe that Jesus is telling his disciples that these things will occur very soon. Matter of fact, as we look at Jesus' words in this chapter, I want to show you why I believe he is saying that these things will occur very soon and will take place in their lifetime. Jesus' words first tells them there in verse 5, take heed that no one deceives you. He's speaking to the disciples that they will not be deceived. Second, verse 7, 
when you hear of wars, do not be troubled. Again, speaking to the disciples. Third, verse 9. But watch out for yourself, for you, for they will deceive you or deliver you up to the councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. Now, who was this? Who was it that was brought before councils? Who was it that was beaten in synagogues? Who was it that was brought to the rulers and the kings? It was the disciples. Fourth, verse 11. But when they arrest you and deliver you up. Fifth, verse 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Sixth, verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation. Now one thing that I didn't mention last week when we looked at that particular phrase, abomination of desolation, I didn't give the cross reference that is found in Luke 21, verse 20, which is, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation is near. So when the apostles, the disciples, when the Christians saw Jerusalem surrounded by the Roman army, they were to leave Jerusalem, and they did, as mentioned last week. Seventh, verse 15 and 16, let him who is on the housetop and then in the field. So again, speaking to the Christians. Eighth, verse 19, for in those days there will be tribulation. Now, what days is he speaking of? Well, as we saw last week, he's speaking of the days that he just spoke of there in the earlier verses. And in ninth, verse 21, then if anyone says to you, and then verse 23, but take heed, see, I have told you all these things beforehand. Jesus is telling the disciples all of these things before these things happen. Now, I believe these verses confirm that Jesus is talking directly to the disciples about what's going to happen in their lifetime, the things that they will see, the things that they will experience. And then there's verse 30 that we've looked at time and time again, which says, Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all of these things take place. So it seems very obvious, very clear to me that Jesus is referring to the disciples and what's going to happen in their lifetime. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, of course, we have to understand also that the disciples did not understand everything that Jesus was saying. They wouldn't understand all these things until later. They wouldn't understand it until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and then even after Pentecost. We know that Jesus told them in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So we see that 
after Pentecost, they would be able to remember these truths. These truths would be brought to their mind by the Holy Spirit. It would become very clear to them these teachings that Jesus has taught them here in Mark chapter 13 to where they would turn around and begin to teach the other believers these things that Jesus has taught them so that they would be able to leave Jerusalem before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and flee to the mountain. And we see that clearly the disciples were faithful in doing this and teaching other believers. So this brings us to verses 24 through 27. If you were here, we would go all the way through verse 31, but we only have 30 minutes, so therefore we will end at verse 27 this morning. Now in these verses, we see that Jesus is telling the disciples to expect incredible display of divine judgment. As we've seen, judgment is a recurring theme throughout this chapter, a warning for all to hear. All of those at that particular time, and it's a warning for us today as well. Again, there's a disagreement on what Jesus is speaking of. But all believe that he is speaking of an event that will be a historical, significant, great event. And the question again is, when will this take place? Now, if you take what Jesus says here literally, and many do, then it would be the end of the world as we know it. For there's no way that the world can continue if these things literally happen. I think we all would agree on that, right? Now, I think as we see in Scripture, we understand that there are things that we would say are symbolic. So the question is, is this literal or is this symbolic? When we looked at Revelation, we saw a lot of symbolic language. No one I know believes that the seven-headed beast in Revelation is a true beast, a literal beast. We know that that is symbolic language. And this kind of language was often used in the Old Testament, and Jesus used it to teach the disciples as well as the prophets used it to teach the Jews of their day about future events that would occur. But it's easy to see how many can connect these verses with Jesus' bodily second coming, believing that Jesus is speaking that about his second coming. Let me show you an example of this. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Peter says, beginning in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hasting for the coming of the day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt as they burn. Do you see how the language used by Jesus seems to be emphasized by Peter in this passage, who speaks of the end of the world? So you can see how many people 
make a connection there and say, well, Jesus also is speaking of the last day when judgment will come on the world. The world will be burned up just as Jesus is speaking of it here in Mark chapter 13. But is that what Jesus is speaking of? That's the question that we have to answer. Is he speaking of his bodily second coming? Now, of course, you will not be surprised when I say, I don't think so. I don't believe he is speaking about his bodily second coming at this particular passage. Now, again, if we leave these verses in the context, I think you will come to a different conclusion than what most come to. I hope you realize that I want us to know what Jesus is describing so that we can benefit from what he's telling us here. I believe that all of us have a desire to know exactly what Jesus is saying so that we will be able to understand it and rightly apply truth to our life. Even though the majority who interpret this particular passage see it differently, and we must understand that we have a particular view as we look at the context of it. And we all have the same desire to know what Jesus is saying. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do believe that there is a future event that will happen that will bring this world to an end. But I do not think that is what Jesus is speaking of here in this passage. First, look at the time frame reference that is mentioned there in verse 24. He says what? In those days. Now, what days is Jesus talking about? Is it not the same days that he's already been describing in the earlier verses here? Remember, he's answering a question that the disciples have asked. Those days that he is speaking about are to be found there in verses 14 through 23. Jesus was speaking about what? We looked at it last week. The Great Tribulation. Also in those days, there's a technical Old Testament term that speaks about future events, often called last days. Let me emphasize some verses that are in the Old Testament that speaks of in those days. We see in Jeremiah 3.16, Then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days. Joel 3.1 For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. Zechariah 8.23 Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that the Lord is with you. Now, that are just a few of the passages that uses this particular phrase in those days, referring to future events. Now, we see the language that Jesus uses was also used by the prophets in referring to judgment that would come in the future. Let me mention some of those. First of all, Isaiah begins, Isaiah chapter 13, verse 1 he states that he is about to speak of the judgment that is going to come against Babylon. And he goes on in Isaiah chapter 13, and he says in verse 9 through 10, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, 
to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellation will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Now, did those things happen literally? Well, no, we know those things didn't happen literally, but they happened symbolically. It's speaking of the judgment that came upon Babylon. He continues in chapter 34, verse 4. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down at the leaf falls from the vine, and a fruit falling from a fig tree. So again, he uses the same kind of language in chapter 34, 4, about the heavens being dissolved and rolling up. Did they literally dissolve and roll up? Well, no. Again, it's speaking about judgment. Joel chapter 2, verse 10. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars dim their brightness. Again, speaking of judgment, not something that literally happened as far as the sun growing dim and the moon darkened. And then Ezekiel 32, 7 and 8. When I put out your light, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will be made dark over you and bring darkness upon your land. And then one last passage, Daniel seven thirteen. I was watching in the night vision and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient days and they brought him near before him. Again, speaking of the coming of the Son of Man, which of course is referring to Jesus Christ, with the clouds of heaven. And Daniel is prophesying Christ coming and bringing judgment again. Not the last days, not the end of the world, but judgment upon Jerusalem. So you see that this language was common language in the Old Testament prophecies to describe God's judgment against nations. And these things were done in a spiritual sense. Judgment came upon these nations. It was not literally where these things happened. It was speaking of the destruction that Jesus brought upon these nations. Now the prophetic language describes real judgment on these nations. And Jesus is doing the same thing here in Mark chapter 13 and describing in what's going to happen to Jerusalem and to the temple. Now we also have to understand that Jesus speaking of his coming into the world about his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He's talking about the new era. All things are going to be revealed. Everything is going to change. The old is going to be passed away and the new is going to come. The old will be done away with and the new will be here. In other words, the Jewish dispensation was being put away and the new age was coming. The Christian age was here. And this is something that was major. It was a significant change in religion. Now, of course, the Jews rejected this. 
and they revoked against God and provoked God to judgment. And they had Jesus put to death so that God is now about to bring judgment upon those who put it to death because they love darkness rather than light. So Jesus in A.D. 70 would come in great power and glory and Jesus himself would bring judgment upon the temple. Of course, he is not talking about a bodily return at this point, but he's talking about coming in judgment and destroying the Jewish nation. Listen again what Isaiah chapter 19 verse 1, what the prophet says. The burden against Egypt, behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter on their his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. Did the Lord come physically, bodily against Egypt? Well, of course we'd answer that question, no. But did the Lord come? Yes, he came in judgment against Egypt and destroyed them. Likewise, in A.D. 70, those who heard Jesus say saw the fulfillment of what Jesus said here in Mark chapter 13. They saw it fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem. And they knew that it was coming. When the army surrounded Jerusalem, they fled to the mountains, the Christians did, so that they would not be destroyed with the Jews. They were able to connect the dots. They were able to put two and two together, and they realized what Jesus was saying was about to come upon them. Now, this passage helps us to understand an earlier passage in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Jesus said, Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, who is he talking to? Again, he's talking to the disciples, to the apostles, and he's telling them, there's some of you that are standing here right now that shall not taste death, and they will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, what was Jesus talking about? Well, he was talking about his, not his bodily return, but he was talking about a demonstration of his power, his kingdom here on earth, which included his resurrection, Pentecost, and the destruction of the temple. When Jesus began his ministry, he came in power. He demonstrated his power. How did he demonstrate his power? Well, he demonstrated his power in casting out demons. And even he told the disciples after he had sent them out in twos and they had done great and wonderful things and they returned and Jesus said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from the sky as they were gone out. What power, what demonstration of power. And then this power climaxed in AD 70 when he brought an end to the old age when he ushered in the new age. See, the new age was ushered in in part fulfillment, as we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission that we're very familiar with. And we see that 
Jesus speaks of this in Mark 13, verse 27. And then he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four corner, four winds, from the furthest part of the earth to the furthest part of heaven. Now this verse sounds like a gathering in of all of God's people. It sounds similar to what is stated in Revelations chapter 20, verse 9 through 10. Revelations chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed with white robes, which with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. It sounds like that. It sounds like it's being fulfilled at the end of the earth. It appears that Jesus is speaking of the expansion of his kingdom in this particular passage of the gospel going to all nations. Now, what happened at the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple? What happened to the Christians? Well, we've already talked about that. They all fled from Jerusalem before it was destroyed. They fled to the mountains. And then they fled to other places. They they spread out into all of the world. And they began to preach the gospel. Now, we saw in Revelation the word angel is often translated messengers. And we see in Revelation in the first chapters there when it speaks to the seven churches that there's just seven pastors or the seven messengers. So therefore, we know that an angel can refer to a messenger. And these messengers go out through all the world preaching the gospel. As the gospel is preached, people are saved. Evangelism is to be done until Christ returns. And there was no longer any reason for a person to have to go to the temple or any person to become a Jewish proselyte. The doors were open for all nations to come into the kingdom of God. All of God's elects were to be gathered from the four corners of the earth. Now remember when Jesus gave the parable of Mark chapter 12, he talks about the vine dresser. He talks about how he gives it to servants to watch over and to bring in the fruit of the fields. And we see that when the owner of the vine field sends his messengers, what did they do? Well, we see that they killed his messengers eventually. They beat them and then eventually they killed. And then the owner said, finally, I will send my only son. What did they do to his only son? Well, they killed him. Now, remember, remember the final thrust of the parable, what Jesus said to the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes there in Mark chapter 12. You can turn back with me to that passage, Mark 12 beginning with verse 9 and reading through verse 12. And they sought to lay hold of him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he spoke the parable against them. So they left him and went away. 
Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, but you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So they're questioning him again, trying to trap him again. But notice what they had said earlier. They knew that they were talking about them that Jesus was talking about them and what they were seeking to do to him. So this parable is exactly the same point that Jesus is making here in this passage. God's judgment is coming upon those who reject him as the Son of God, as the Lord. And therefore they are under the wrath of God. Now we are all called to be his witnesses in this world. We are to send missionaries. We are to help support missionaries. We are also to ask God if he would have us to go. We are to be like Isaiah, send me. Now what's so sad is that some of us are so in love with this world, we are so in love with being here in the USA that we would never leave it for the work of the Lord. We'd rather enjoy our pleasures here in this world than go out and seek to save souls. Paul tells us that we are to be the temple of God. That we are to carry the good news to the nations. So we must go, we must tell others that if anyone would come to him in repentance and saving faith, that they will be saved if they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. We are to be faithful in carrying the gospel out to the nations. We are to seek to fulfill the great commission. Beginning where? Beginning in our Jerusalem and going to the uttermost parts of the earth. God is gathering in His elects just as spoken of in this verse. In the four winds, the four corners of the world, all over the world, people are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I've shared with you before how God is working so wonderfully there in Africa, how He's working in South America, how He's working in China, how He's working in the former Soviet Union. God is gathering His elect. The question is, will you be actively involved in this mission of calling people to Christ? Will you participate? Are you helping to fulfill the Great Commission? Are you beginning in your own Jerusalem? Are you seeking to do all that you can to see that people will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Let us pray that God will use us What an opportunity we have in this day to speak of Jesus Christ when we as a nation are in this crisis, but not only here in America, it's all over the world that this crisis of this virus is causing people to think about death. What a wonderful opportunity we have to press upon them their need of Jesus Christ, that there is a day that's coming when they must stand before Him and they must give an account. May we be faithful to share the gospel with those that we come in contact with and that God would save them from their sins. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and we thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have to call ourselves children of God, the wonderful privilege that we have to share the gospel with others. Cause us to be faithful, Father, to do that which you have called us to do, to go forth and share 
the great commission so that many will come into the kingdom of God. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake.